God's church has persisted through a lot because of the God who stands behind it. Here we go! Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Impress them on your children. Yeah. Talk about them when you see Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the family and discipleship pastor at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Pastor Anthony Trussoni, the supported elder at Poland Baptist Church in Poland, Maine. Hey, Ben, how you doing today? Doing pretty well. I'm probably this afternoon, I'm going to be tired. Uh, you know, I told you on the last episode about, you know, my ski trip and stuff, and uh was with a bunch of college guys and I didn't stay up as late as they did, but I stayed up later than I normally do just to try to <laughs> hang out with them. And then last night he didn't sleep very well. So um gonna be feeling it later today. I'm about to be maybe one of those pour overs you were doing earlier. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. Yeah, I love my caffeine. So that uh yeah, I've been uh that haven't been up to much since I talked to you. So I did get a little <laughs> bit of my hope for my day through yeah, pour over like you mentioned. And uh, I will tell you, I've been following sports uh, football more lately than I honestly had been. Have you been keeping up with the sports with playoffs and everything? Um, some of the guys were checking football scores the other day. Um, and I was paying attention to Georgia in the college football playoff, but um, yeah, yeah, beating down, uh, <laughs> TCU. We did, yeah. You know, it's funny because with football, I had gotten a little bit of hope towards the end of the season with the Patriots and their kind of improved play. But but I, I kind of think after when they were scheduled for the Bills after, you know, everyone decided they're a Bills fan for understandable reasons, I lost a lot <laughs> of that hope for rooting for the Patriots this year at the end of the season. And that proved to be well-founded as the first ki- as on the kickoff, they, they gave up a touchdown in the first play of the game. So, Oh no. They did. And they <laughs> lost and they didn't make the playoffs because they got beaten by the bills. They played pretty well though. So, Okay. But uh, I, you know, maybe I shouldn't have been hopeful about it. But I, I want to talk today about hope to you on the with you on the podcast, as I think this is an important topic, especially you know this will come up in February, but in the relatively in the beginning of the new year, a time to kind of think about hope for the future. But I want to ask Ben, are you a hopeful person? You know, that's hard to say if I am. I to some degree, yes, I think so. I can certainly. I think since being a pastor, there are times where I can get prone to discouragement and just seeing the different negative things. But I can't, I think, yes, that there is at least an element of hopefulness to me. Sometimes maybe it's just I tend to see things more half full, uh, which is not especially Christian. There's some people who are just more optimistic than others, uh, maybe not even for good reason. But uh, I do – have yes i would say to some extent and it's something i i need to grow in though how about you yeah so naturally i'm a bit of a puddle glum uh as my own (laughs) yeah yeah i mean puddle glum is a reference to a a c.s lewis character in the chronicles of narnia who kind of was that basically everything's going to go bad everything's going to go bad and uh, especially i can have this in sports like i'm always sure that my team my team is going to underperform and i'm always surprised when the team i'm rooting for wins uh but what is interesting is i actually do think 
one area of the spirit's work is, is, and this actually ends up leading to disappointment at times, is by the Holy Spirit, I do have, and I think I do live by hope. You know, I, I think I have a sense of at least optimism in my theology, which, you know, makes me feel like I even shocked when things don't go in the way that I thought they would and a little bit disappointed. So I think I'm not naturally hopeful, no, uh, but I think there is a hope, at least in my doctrine and things like that. But now, do you have much hope specifically related to ministry? The reality is that in 50 years, the likelihood is neither of us will be in our ministry positions. Statistically speaking, it's pretty likely that both of us will be in our graves and in glory and somebody else will be in those roles. Uh, but do you have much hope for those that are in our roles in 50 years? I think things will be hard and there will be challenges that are unique. Uh, but I am I am hopeful that Jesus will build his church. I do stand on that promise and that he, he wins. And so I don't know what the future will look like. I think persecution probably will come to America in a way that it has not been there, not been here. But the church may look a lot different, but I don't think that the the lampstand will be extinguished, at least in America. But, I mean, I'm concerned about the church outside of America as yeah. well. Um, and so there are places where – I mean I've read of different accounts in places like China or Iran where the government is not friendly to the church and – I mean, just like I think it was was it Tertullian that said that the the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, and um, w- we see that. I mean, Jesus is stronger than yeah. than evil and uh, the forces of Satan. So, I am hopeful in that sense. I, I mean, I have concerns about some of the how are we going to navigate, particularly in the West, because that's the context where we are. But uh, some of the cultural challenges that we're facing. And we, we just did recorded one of these about uh, reactions and overreactions and the way some of those – that's been on full display uh, in some pretty ugly ways since 2020. Um, and I get more, more heat than light always. But um, I have concerns about that. But again, I am – my confidence is in the Lord and not yeah. in a you know, particular branch of the church or you know, a tribe of the church, if you will. Yeah. That's it. That's a good perspective. So, and I think generally I would agree with that in terms of looking for the future ministry. Uh, and by the way, it is interesting that I happened that quote they use from Tertullian. I just use it from the pulpit at our church that two days before I'm recording this. So, <laughs> and that will give our church members some idea of when we record. Uh, so now, do you feel like uh, most people are hopeful, especially about future generations? Uh, I think it depends on who you ask. Um, I mean, some think we're just progressing and improving and changing the world and we're improving morally and technology and pretty soon it's just going to be this utopia. Um, but then others have a much more skeptical view. Um, some people are looking at some pretty obvious, uh, character issues and flaws and trends that they see with, uh, particularly younger generations who are emerging into adulthood. And, I mean, let's face it, there are some glaring issues there. Um, but there's also some some really good things. I was talking to my brother-in-law, and 
over Thanksgiving, he's been in ministry for a while. He's not, he's only about two years older than me, but he's just been in ministry longer and they've developed a lot of leaders where they are and sent them in different places. And so they went from working with millennials to now with Gen Z. And I was asking him if they had seen a cultural shift. Um, and he said, you know, listen, I love Gen Z and some of the things that, that marks them. But they also, I mean, they do, they are racked with anxiety and the ability to cope with challenges and things like that. Um, and so there's a lot of people, I don't know if you and I were talking about this, but I've heard, uh, you know, a lot of times people refer to millennials and it's just sort of as young people. But some of the oldest millennials are like hitting 40. You know, they're not, they're not little whippersnappers anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there can be a tendency to to look down on um, some of those younger generations uh, because of some of that it, within the church, but even in the broader culture. And so oh, they're just a bunch of snowflakes and, and this kind of thing. Um, and so, again, I think it just depends on who you ask. But may, maybe a um, at least older generations looking back at some of these younger emerging generations and not being real hopeful like oh what if what if we go to war and all these snowflakes they get their feelings hurt and you know then we're destroyed or whatever yeah so i i've read some statistics on hope in america specifically and uh, one thing i found is actually i was surprised by this is a, a not much over half but like a tad tad bit of over half of people will say that to uh statistician uh, to surveyors that they are hopeful about the future that they're optimistic and hopeful for what will happen in the future uh, usually for their own lives for their own future uh but mm-hmm. I will say, you know, this is general, but in my experience among evangelicals, among Christians, I feel like we sometimes can feel like it's particularly going to heck in a handbasket. I I suspect that we can be less hopeful than the society at large. But again, I don't have a definitive statistic to back that up. Uh, But, you know, I, I do wonder, even among you know, the hope that people have. I wonder how much it's real biblical, true hope that the world around us has. Because, you know, I I think maybe the active sense of hope that people have is really just kind of like the hope that drives people to play the lottery. You know, it's kind of almost that, you know, it's not really a hope that, you know, that that God's in control of the future, but more of a hope that, that good things are bound to come to me because I'm almost like entitled. I just, it, almost the I deserve this mentality is kind of mm-hmm. driving their hope more than actual biblical perspective on hope. Uh, so I'm not even sure I would really call that real true hope. Would you? I think you're right. Yeah, more just like wishful thinking or... yeah. Now, do you think people have become less hopeful in recent years? I think, yes. I think kind of the hangover, the the effects of postmodernism has led to skepticism and suspicion, um, which is understandable. Um, I mean, I see where that comes from. And I think, honestly, that that's being consistent, um, that there should be that, if, if that's kind of some of the things you adopt. Uh, yeah, there is still shreds of hope. I mean, again, you've got some people just think technology will solve all of our problems um, or that we're just going to, you know, eliminate all forms of injustice if, you know, we cancel enough people or, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that was a little bit of a swipe. But, I mean, 
being a little more charitable, there are folks that think, you know, if, if we address this and we address this, we can continue to improve and to solve these problems. Um, and so sometimes there is a hope. I think it's an unfounded hope. It's often um, – it's sort of like we will have the kingdom, but it's minus the king. Yeah. And um, so maybe not biblical hope, but there there is – again, I think it depends on where you look. But I don't know. What, how do you see it? Yeah, I've, and I've read a little bit on this, a good bit on this, actually. And uh, since whatever happened in spring of 2020, I can't recall anything significant in spring of 2020, but since spring of 2020, I think that is clearly true, that progressively people are, have become less and less hopeful, uh, and which is understandable. I mean, people were, lo- on hope, were lacking hope during the Great Depression. And so a lot of times hope kind of connected to the situation around us. But even, you know, lately, the past year, we've experienced some insane inflation and a really uh, that uh, terrible stock market. And uh, and that, you know, has eaten hope, especially for those that are in a point of investing. I I mean, even my own life, I can say like, man, for a while I was getting really hopeful for my future looking at my for my Roth IRA, but uh, I'm a little bit, a good bit less hopeful when I'm looking at my Roth. I actually, I do not lose hope. I, I don't really look at my Roth IRA very much anymore. Yeah, I just try not to look too much these days. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, but yeah, but I think ex- the news events of the past few years, especially around elections, which I won't say much more about that, has dispelled a lot of imagined progress that people had. You know, uh, I mean, a lot of I mean, there was a president that ran on uh, on hope was kind of the core message. And then it seemed like, you know, that the definition of hope. Yeah, yeah, it didn't really it didn't really hold. And uh, in even the rising that tide of freedom that we've had throughout much of history has ended. Uh, Our kids uh, used to do uh, classical conversations, homeschool, and they have a timeline song. And in the timeline, they kind of go through events of history. And the last thing on the version of our kids timeline that we had was uh, the last term they say is rising tide of freedom, rising tide of freedom, uh, and which is actually like a political movement, an idea that after the 80s or 90s there was kind of this rising tide of freedom in the world and Mm -hmm. uh, even after 9-11 but there was actually Mm -hmm. something called the World Freedom Index and basically saying how free people are throughout the world and it has markedly been going down for the past 10 years like shockingly we are not in a time of rising time of freedom at all and so I think that's going to kind of make people less hopeful of course Mm. yeah now, what actually is hope, Ben? Well, biblically speaking, it's confidence in the promises of God that are not yet realized, that you don't yet have hold of. So it's not wishful thinking, uh, but sort of joyful waiting on God to accomplish this. Yes, I'm, I'm taking him at his word, and, and there is a, um, a confidence in that to help me live right now as I wait for that. That's probably the most distinct way I could Yeah. Uh, say it and what would would you nuance it any further or no i i would i would agree with that i mean i put it as uh, i think a hope is a kind of confidence that better is ahead i mean what what that better is is going to depend upon your worldview so you know somebody's mm-hmm. hope might be that the better head might be winning that lottery but i think real hope <laughs> is gospel better is jesus better so yeah uh, 
you know, I, I think for some people, hope is a little more than kind of crossing your fingers and just believing in belief. Yeah, almost like, you know, all the Santa Claus mm-hmm. movies. <laughs> but uh, it's kind of, you know, I believe despite believing, that's what my hope is. Uh, but I think real hope with Christians is hope with a reason. Uh, hope, the biblical concept of hope is both logical and it's theological. It's an important thing to understand about hope. So. Yeah. Now, why should Christians be uniquely hopeful, or do you not think that we should be uniquely hopeful? Well, I think that we should because we are promised how things end. Mm-hmm. We we know how how it is going to to work out, and so we're not just well. I hope the stock market goes up, or that this person gets elected, or whatever particular issue that we think will lead to the golden tomorrow. But yeah, I mean, one day that is, uh, it's fresh in my mind because I was putting this in something for parents the other day, but you know, that uh, what we wait for as Christians is is to go be with the Lord forever and there won't be a son because yeah. the because God and the Lamb are the light mm-hmm. of the new city. And, uh, and so that that is uniquely helpful that then it's not just that we, you know, go be fat angel babies or like that, but that things are made whole and right. And, mm-hmm. and all these, these little examples of where we're looking for things to, to be better, it will all be right. It will be shalom. Yeah. 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 We, I, yeah, I agree. We should be uniquely hopeful. Uh, I mean, I mean, we know who's in control. That fundamentally. So even in the now, we know the one that's on the throne and we know his character and that his all his ways are good. Uh, but further, I think we're kind of a future people. I mean, you stressed that, you know, we have a future, but not just that. I mean, we're really called, you know, part of the kingdom of God now, which, which really finds its fall, um, ultimate manifestation in glory. The glorification is really our ultimate, is our ultimate destiny, our ultimate status, if you will. And so we, so even our presence now, our very identity now is to be defined by what our future is, the good future that's ahead. But I mean, to me, the ultimate hope for all Christians that makes Christianity distinct is the hope of the resurrection. The hope Mm -hmm. that is shown in the fact that, I mean, death is conquerable. We don't just hope we're going to go to heaven. We know Jesus rose from the dead and that, and and the Jesus, and that is the first fruit to the resurrection. Jesus Mm -hmm. will rise Mm -hmm. us all from the dead. So, but what does the Bible say about this kind of hope or is the Bible silent about hope? The Bible's got a, some good stuff for us in that regard. I mean, I'll just kind of allude to some passages. Um, but in 1 Thessalonians 1, it's th- that hope enables us to endure now as we go through trials. Um, in chapter 5 of the same letter, it it gives us protection. Um, in Hebrews 6, it produces action mm. in us now. Um, Romans 5 says that hope and it doesn't put us to shame, but it vindicates us in the end. Um First John 3 says that it, it purifies us uh, as we hope in the promises of God now. It, it purifies us uh, to make us more like Jesus. And so, I mean, that, that's a quick, you know, just yeah. brush by uh, of some different areas where it, it has real practical value in the day-to-day. And, and through the things that would tend to help us or tend to 
um, be an obstacle to being hopeful. You know, if you're enduring something and you need to be protected, um, and there's the fear of shame or impure, these kinds of things that would be discouraging and uh, depressing or whatever, uh, that hope in the promises of God really, they, they pull us through those things. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I'd add a couple passages. I think those are fantastic. But I think of, I thought of Romans 15 that shows mm. that God is the God of hope. It literally uses mm-hmm. that term in Romans 15, 13. I mean, it's one of my favorite passages yeah, in the Bible. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. So, uh, 1 Peter 1 shows the resurrection is our hope, and it gives hope. I mean, the resurrection fuels hope, as we talked about earlier. And then back to the Psalms, you know, the Psalms are such a great source of thinking about hope. Uh, in Psalm 39, it shows that hope in God is something that creates patience in us. It helps. It's something that helps us wait uh, that as because we know that our God is in control. So, yeah, the Bible, I mean, we really, we could do it like a four-hour podcast where basically we're just citing Bible passages about hope. Don't you agree? It, it could be very rich, yeah. It could be. So, now how might our eschatology and other theology dictate our hope? And by the way, for listeners that don't know, eschatology means basically doctrine of the future, what we believe about the end times, one might say, but it's really more than that. Okay, so um, it can fill, it fills in some details uh, for us. It gives us, not that we just have this vague sense of, you know, a pie in the sky and the sweet by and by, um, or just things will get better, but it, it gives us some actual hooks to hang the hope on. Like, oh, this is what we have to look forward to. Um, you know, in Revelation, um, it talks in chapter 21, and the sea was no more. And it's this picture of uh, – it's a symbol of chaos and unrest, and there's no more sea. And um, the, the evil is cast into Satan, and, and all of that is cast into the lake of fire, and he wipes away every tear from our eyes. And th- there's just – you know, again, we don't know exactly how all those things work out, but we have some sense of where we're headed, and it makes us pray for that um, now and can build our hope. Uh, now also, I think depending on your um, thinking a little more narrowly, your views on particular eschatological readings of Scripture, so like if you're a dispensationalist versus a postmillennialist or something like that, that may determine kind of how you view things. Um, and so you may be a little more pessimistic versus optimistic about it, or um, you know, you look in the news headlines and that kind mm-hmm. of thing, and like, oh, see, see, you know, the, the, the Russians are doing this, or the, you know, the Chinese, and it's headed somewhere, and it's about to get bad, and, you know, um, or... You, you're more optimistic and see the kingdom is advancing on. It's just going to get better. And then Jesus will come back. And so, I mean, I think depending on kind of what you're going for, like, yeah, there, there's, there's different aspects of that. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I will say, you know, with eschatology, there's different Christian views on this. And, you know, I suspect uh, all listeners have different views and maybe even Ben and I to a degree. Uh, but I, I think all Orthodox, as in like uh, b- beliefs in eschatology that have been considered truly Christians, uh, ha- present some hope focus for the future. I think really a benchmark of every uh, a kind of view of the future eschatology is, is a hope. It's just how 
you see that hope and and to some degree how it impacts how things are looking now uh, but particularly the most common eschatologies uh, the three most common eschatologies until recently the most common ways that people have interpreted what we talk about the millennium have basically all united in seeing the kingdom winning even now there is a more popular eschatology now that is probably more common even in our culture among those who don't claim christianity that i think is a lot less uh as perspective of god there is hope now a lot more just kind of the domination now uh but but i think that that should assure us that you know the way that most Christians look to the future and throughout history, and even most Christians throughout the world still do, not in America, sees the kingdom as, as really advancing, as winning for, in different kind of ways. Uh, and, and I think further, our theology of God's power is a general thing. You know, knowing his attributes uh, that and it, this different, at, how powerful he is, how omnipotent, how omnipresent he is. It, it brings us immense hope because the forces that seem to be prevailing aren't winning. And actually, it's interesting because this even transitions me into, I think one of the greatest hopes that I've had has actually been building on my eschatology. I've become more hopeful as I've even embraced a view that you might not, Ben, and listeners might not, which is called amillennialism. And I really like basically to me the perspective that that has is it really sees, you know, we like to think the world is going uh, going to muck or we think, you know, the church is winning. But um, amillennialism says yes to those. But it almost sees it as to me that approach is, is to read the Bible as saying that kind of the world the world is going is like a car driving in one direction uh but uh that and god's victory through his church is a car driving in the other direction so but so the further one car gets uh at the same time we know that the other car is getting further in the other directions and so yes it is going to be the case that we, we should not have any hope that the world is going to get a biblical ethic on marriage soon or probably won't uh but also we but then even when we see these things go nuts we can have hope that god is still winning jesus is still on his throne right yeah amen so now how can the hope have a place in parental discipleship then well i think as we seek to to make disciples in our own home we can have hope as we sow the seed of the word uh, of the gospel and we keep doing it and we keep doing it and it, we are we trust in god um to accomplish his purposes and often the those who come up in a christian home and have heard the gospel from a young age and see it its implications lived out at, at home and in, in their churches uh come to Christ. Not all do, and some people come to Christ from different contexts, but we we do have hope that God will accomplish, you know, his purposes with his word and that his sovereign grace and power can overcome sin and unbelief and and produce something wonderful. Um, we also teach our kids to live with hope and to not get swept up in the you know, to doom scroll or, or whatever, um, and not get caught up in. And again, I, I'm at least not at this point an am millennialist, um, but I do like your illustration about the cars passing each other. But um, as the one car, you know, the world's car keeps going in one direction, and 
the the kingdom of God goes in another, um, not to get you know keep looking back at the the other car and being like, but look, but look, oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to to have a hope that's grounded, like we're living like God's word and His promises are true. We think that they are. So like acting like that's reality. Um, and so they can just become a fabric of, of how you live. But um, what would you say? I, I think in terms of parental discipleship, uh, that we can have hope because we can know that God is working even when things are frustrating in our household. Um, mm-hmm. You know, even when it's frustrating, the process of discipling our kids, you know, family worship feels like it's just an, it's just so much work and it seems pointless. We can have hope because God works through his means. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think further, we, I think a right hope impacts our parenting because we don't raise uh, against stuff children quote-unquote, you know, and I think that is a tendency of many Christians. You know, we raise uh, Christian kids uh, to kind of be against this, that, or the other. But if we're built upon hope, we actually end up focusing more on the the car that is advancing in the right direction. We're for that. We can also be against that. Uh, but when we're hopeful, we don't just have to have that kind of response nature, that that reactionary nature, and which kind of goes back to our previous podcast, which if you haven't listened to it, I think is a great one that Ben led on. So, now, how can uh, we help our children grow into hopeful Christians? I mean, I think it starts with our own example. Now, certainly we need to, well, I say start, I don't know. You, you sort that out, but we need to pray that they would. And I don't just say that as a pat answer. I mean, just the longer I live and walk with the Lord, you just see we need the Lord to work. And so you pray for that. But then you also live that way in front of them and fight for it because there's going to be things, whether it's things, obstacles in the way of making disciples in the home, your own sin or their sin or cultural pressures that just make it harder um, or things that you're concerned about in the culture or with the government or just, you know, we could just keep naming things, but fight for hope in the midst of that and uh, not getting all worked up in a, a you know, a dither about things, living in fear, uh, and also just talk to them about it um, and talk to, about your struggles. It's, it, it can be hard sometimes yeah. because we see things and, and because of our fallenness and because of our limitations as, as creatures, we're subject to whims and emotional things. And, and so just talking that, yeah, I have to fight for hope and remember that God's word is true. And uh, I, I pray that for myself, and I pray that for you. And, and just walking through it honestly, especially as they get older, helping them see it's not this Pollyannish, just, you know, everything's going to be better tomorrow, um, but also that you're not out of touch with reality. Like yeah. I see that the, these things are concerning, or that this is just hard. But yet God's church has persisted through a lot because of the God who stands behind it. Amen. So. Yeah, this is that's some good stuff. Yeah, I, I can't add a lot to that because I think that's particularly fantastic for any listener. So much so that uh, I I think I'll maybe a note for myself that I might leave in there that I, I think I found our opener. <laughs> 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 
Uh, yeah, I'll just add, in addition to those really helpful truths, I think we should be careful with exposing our children to the kind of hopeless voices that rattle sabers. Because I think that is going to be one of the sources of a lack of hope, is when we really introduce too much into our home and introduce too much even, you know, maybe when we're driving in the car and the podcast we listen to, that the, the, those voices that just rattle savers and, and take away hope and just kind of, you know, woe is me for the future. The bad guys are causing the problems. Uh, so do you listen, like you guys when you're driving around, like listen to Alex Jones or something? Or? <laughs> I do not. <laughs> and thanks for losing us all for Alex, Alex Jones listeners. <laughs> I don't think there are many. Yeah, they all they're all gone now. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I, I think finally on that show, hope for them. I, I think this is key because it's so easy to lose hope for our own children. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, and I don't want to go to the other extreme of, you know, the parents that assume that their kids are Christian because, you know, they're their kids. Uh, but we should always, even when our kids are frustrating, even when their kids are overwhelming, I think we should demonstrate a posture that we have hope for their future. Mm-hmm. We have hope for what God might do in their lives. And I think that that will be something that, that will impact how we relate to them, how we disciple them, and how they see that in us. But, yes, yes, that's great. Now, how do we maintain hope as a family, specifically amidst discouragement? Because I know discouragement doesn't stop, and it's probably been more active now than ever. We've got to be tied to God's promises. You brought up Romans 15, and uh, I'm surprised I didn't think of, I just did a search in my Bible program with hope, or was looking at cross-references, and, but Romans 15 is, uh, 15 verse 4, uh, for whatever was written in the past, talking about the Old Testament, was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from the scriptures. And then now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement uh, give you this. Um, and so it's like he gave us scripture for our hope. And so um, and, and a lot of times I'll talk about that related to the Old Testament, telling people what the, why we should bother with the Old Testament, even if it seems hard. It's like, do you want hope? Well, the Bible, you know, 75% of the Bible comes from the Old Testament, or, you know, approximately. So do you want to cut out 75% of your hope? Um, so staying on God's promises and, and being formed and shaped by the wider, not just the promises, but the instruction and the commands and all of that, um, let that be what's shaping us uh, more than the culture or the news or the, you know, you fill in the blank political party, um, you know, that that has become an issue. I mean, it's been an issue for a while and that's just really gone on steroids. Um, like the liver King, you know, to bring in another cultural reference since 2020, just the, the politicization or something. I I don't know if I got that right, but making this issue or that issue. And like, this is, you know, like the kingdom of God depends on this or America's going to fall or this, you know, civilization as we know it and yeah i mean like there's things that are concerning out there but um i mean i've seen several different uh statistical looks at the amount of screen time broken down in different categories that people were exposed to during that time of uh lockdown and that kind of stuff 
and it was alarming the amount of hours people were watching the news and social media and this kind of stuff. And it was, you know, very much like doom. Uh, and, you know, think what you want, whatever side, if you're still wearing a mask in your car by yourself or whether you, you know, never wore one because you thought it was crazy and, and dumb, um, you know, there was there was stuff going on there and a lot of that was not shaped by science. It was shaped by either, you know, fear that we're going to all get infected and die and you want my grandma to die or fear that the government's going to come and, you know, exert its will on us. Um, but it was all this fear and not, not hope. Um, and so just, yeah, those things shape and form us and disciple us more than God's word. And we've got to fight that. Yeah. So I would just add, I think some some helpful things to me in maintaining hope as a family is we talked about what not to listen to and uh, and I, it, it is disappointing that we seem to have also lost the crowd of uh, listeners that also follow the Liver King now. So, <laughs> by the way, if you don't know what the Liver King is, Google that or don't Google it. <laughs> uh, but, it's fascinating at the least. <laughs> yeah, that's a word for it. <laughs> Uh, sorry, I'm losing it, listeners. So, um, the I, I think we can sing together instead the songs of hope. Maybe the uh, uh, hope for sufferers, and uh, maybe even we do that in the car. You know, I mean, sing great songs in the past, and and I like a lot of you know a lot of really healthy Christian songwriters have emphasized these are you know really kind of revivers of. Uh, uh, past Christian songs have emphasized these. And so I think two songs I think that are particularly helpful as song of hope for suffering would be We Will Feast in the House of Zion, uh, which is based on the psalm and it's by Sandra McCracken. I think that is such a great song of hope and suffering. And then another one, uh, kind of a spiritual song that the Indelible Grace has covered really well is, is Beams of Heaven. I love the message of that amidst uh, times of suffering and the hope that we can have through that. I've referred to that, I think, in the pulpit multiple times in Sunday school as well. Great song, Beams of Heaven. Uh. Yeah, there's a, a guy who's a pastor. Um, he's in the, he's at least ordained in like the Anglican Church, North America. So, you know, a more liturgical, higher church kind of uh, background. But I've heard him, uh, looked at some stuff he was talking about, the, the need to sing about our future hope of heaven. Um, and how good that is for us now. And, uh, and, you know, I mean, I'm not an Anglican, nor do I plan to become one. I just, but there's many things in that tradition that I look and I'm thankful for. And, you know, some of the prayers and things that, that shape the Book of Common Prayer, really good Bible and theology underneath that with an expectation of, of what is to come. And so, um, yeah, that right on with you. Yeah. So, yeah, I think also we focus on the things where Christ is winning. Uh, that are honestly bigger. And I think that having that greater emphasis, I think, will all, always bring hope. Uh, because, and it's easy to find. It's easy to find evidence. And, and you know, perhaps uh, Christians can look some of these things up. Of examples where the, the churches are growing throughout the world. And this is a sign of hope that Jesus is winning. And not only is this a sign of hope, I think we must present it to our families as the truth that it is that, in fact, for whatever bad you think of 2020, you can think of one bad or another, that 
the salvation of one sinner that happened in 2020 is not just the is not the equal opposite uh, that in terms of its goodness. It actually is even the salvation of one sinner by Christ is an infinitely greater good than whatever bad happened through 2020. And maybe one might think I'm overstating, but I don't think that's an overstatement at all. Uh, and, and I think in that we can kind of capture testimonies of the past and the testimonies of our past uh, in life and how God has worked and God has been through life. And, and I think we can even teach our kids those things. And when we do teach our kids those things, it ends up often reminding ourselves when we're discouraged as well. Mm. Now, how, how can Next Generation Ministries teach the gospel value of hopefulness? We don't want to berate um, those next generations that we're ministering to for their shortcomings, um, but help them with them. I think it's it's appropriate and proper to help them see some of those things, but not just you know pound them. Um, like so, when I went on that ski trip, I talked about this weekend. Uh, I was leading the the small group times with these guys, and it was a you know fairly small group of guys. And so one of the guys actually helped me kind of think of what would be helpful to cover. And so we went to 2 Thessalonians 3, and there's Paul's talking about idleness and laziness uh, with working and um, specifically working in a job to provide yourself. But it's the you know, carryover and, and this, some of the particular tendencies of young men in this culture that we're in. Uh, and I don't think it's you know only ours, but just because of some of the things that that we have culturally available to us, then uh, makes this easier. But can tend toward young men can tend towards idleness and just sitting around and hours and hours of video games or um, you know TikTok or whatever it is, and <clears throat> rather than doing things that are going to uh, really be beneficial to them, and so. You know, I tried to not just pound them like, listen, guys, you're lazy. You need to do something. You need to, you know, get out here and lift weights and eat raw liver and, you know, act like men. Um, but try to encourage them and push them along in those things. Now, I don't know that I did it perfectly. Um, and, you know, some of those guys, they're really following the Lord. Um, but that's just a, a pressing example on my mind. Um, we also don't want – there's some you know, that, that can be particularly zealous about trying to bring change, uh, and there's this hopefulness that like we can change the world. We can do this. We can yeah. do that. I don't think we want to exalt them as you are the ones who will bring in the kingdom. You know, you are going to fix all this stuff. Now, yeah. yes, pursue good. Um, seek to, to do that, but – it doesn't all rest on you. Remind them that Christ is the one who brings his kingdom uh, and that you're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. And, uh, you know, we want to demonstrate and, and rely on the faithfulness of God. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's there's dangers kind of all around. But um, I think that that's, that's helpful for them to see because of the, the increasing levels of uh, skepticism um, and lack of hopefulness and, uh, you know, and you see good reason why people might be getting there, uh, breakdown of families and, and those kinds of things, uh, abuse of power that mm -hmm. you see in the government or in churches or all kinds of things. And just remembering like, like okay, this, this is not all uh, that we have to live for. What would you add to that? I think it's really good. I would just add briefly a couple things. I think we need to incorporate a Jesus winning kind of, a kind of mentality 
even if we don't teach in Revelation or amillennialism or whatever, I think that there always needs to be incorporated when we teach young people just an emphasis that Jesus is winning in this age, and Jesus will win when he comes again. And again, I, I think that's something that is taught all over Scripture, and you don't have to be non-millennialist to uh, hold to that. So, uh, But uh, I think that we also, we, we pray, when we pray with young people, which should be a huge part of next-gen ministry, I think we demonstrate praying in hope, not a hope that we know that things will go the right way, but you know, I love the hope of prayer, hope and prayer that's demonstrated by Calvin. That uh, and uh, Calvin stressed when he talked about prayer. He said that he mean he he didn't say that did do the whole God will say no, yes, or wait. Instead, his aunt, his attitude towards prayer was that God answers our prayers as we would have prayed them if we were wiser. And, and, and that is such a hopeful <laughs> attitude on even how we approach prayer. Mm, I love good. that quote. Somebody asked me to, I need to send that to somebody, but they listen to the podcast. So and that is my sending this to somebody. <laughs> now, how uh, that looking at hope for having hope for young people, how can we maintain hope for those very young people when we are discouraged by them? I know you mentioned some discouragement in Gen Z and I'm sure everyone can see that and or maybe discouragement in us as millennials. So how can we maintain that hope with that? Well, keep giving them uh, the gospel and keep giving them doctrine that goes in line with it. In the sense, like I, I don't think it requires some sort of revolutionary Oh, we've got to do this or do this, but you know, we keep on doing the things that the Lord told us to do. We rely on the Lord's methods that He's given us in His Word. Um, try to help them think through the the life that that flows out of trusting in Christ. Um, we model it ourselves, and we try to invite them into our lives to observe that. Um, and again, we remember Jesus's promise that he will build his church and um whether it's this way or that way uh it's not finally up to this rising generation or the generation after them or ours or the one ahead of us or um it, it it's it's on the lord and you just talked about this a minute ago about the the need for prayer in next generation ministries but i mean i have it in my notes here in all caps um a couple of years ago uh, true 78 uh, used to be children desiring God. Yeah. They issued, they they put out a little uh, free ebook, and it was like big bold biblical prayers for the next generation. And then as part of that, they they were giving it away, but they were also asking people to commit to pray uh, for the next generation. And that's something. So like on Wednesdays, uh, as I'm getting ready for our Wednesday night stuff, uh, I include that. You know, praying for what cool. we're doing that night, but also praying just for the rising generation, both from our church, but more broadly, just you know, globally, that that they would not be, um, you know, duped by the culture's lies and buying into the, the things of the culture, fearing man, but you know that they would be zealous for God's glory and His kingdom, and um, and God is listening to those prayers. I, I don't know exactly how all that works, but I'm confident that God listens to his people, and so I keep giving time to it. And so, um, yeah, even when we feel like, my goodness, what is going on? Uh, we just call on the one who's stronger than than these. I mean, is 
as many good things as they may have going for them or as yeah. many bad things as they may have going for them, we we look to the Lord who is our hope. That's good. Yeah. I think that's fantastic again. I would just add to that, and something that seemingly odd, even though it was my own question, <laughs> I think we play the long game. Uh, I think that is part of what is essential and how we can maintain hope. And I even, you know, in my days of youth ministry and children's ministry more actively, I, you know, I remember I, I, I always thought that kind of the attitude of the holding tank uh, with Pete's uh, mentality towards next generation ministries. Basically, the kind of give them what they want because they don't want the things of God. It was always pretty hopeless to me, actually, mm-hmm. because it always assumed that they're not going to be better off. But I felt like, at least in my best moments, I tried to maintain that we're, we, I want to, we, I want to offer them something that they will thank God that they had in 10,000 years. Or I want to, I want to offer an hour that they will be appreciative of in 10 million years. And I think that kind of long game is the game that we should be praying, playing. And, and, and I think that requires a kind of hope, uh, the hope that, yeah, God does use these things. And he will use these things that are important, that are good, that are ordinary means of grace things like we've talked about in other podcasts. How might our hopelessness negatively rub off in the next generations? So I think that uh, they could take it further. Mm -hmm. They could become even more hopeless and skeptical um, and suspicious or they could swing and overreact and be too hopeful and optimistic and, you know, that if they're believers, like, man, we are going to bring the kingdom now. Uh, you might see a you know, spike in postmillennialism or something. Um, but just it, it, maybe they, they're not believers. There could still be that level of optimism. We can fix things through technology and proper education and this and that. Um, and some of them, you know, maybe they're – their influence and they're in the church, um, but they just question the whole thing. And they're like, well, what good is this? Like if it's just doom and gloom um, and, and just drive them away. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, I, I definitely think that they may grow cynical with that. Uh, and in one way or the other, driving them away. And that is not helpful to grow spiritually cynical at all. It's not productive of godliness. Uh, and I think it will also quite often create an unhealthy engagement with the world. You know, somebody that doesn't have hope for Jesus winning now is not going to have a lot of hope for engaging with what's around them. And, uh, and, and, but what they might do, ironically, is they might search for a wrong hope. And I think even now we're seeing, you know, the the way that people that were seemingly hopeless in God that are Christians have kind of grabbed hold of political leaders that maybe don't have the most godly worldview as kind of their hope that, you know, that maybe, maybe if this person wins, you know, things will go better. Uh, it's really been a counterfeit hope. And I think it's a product, even if some of those people are older, I think to a degree, it's a product of being kind of discipled and raised up in a system that, that really lacks any real gospel hope that we must have. And I think those are some real dangers. And, mm. you know, sometimes we should avoid hopelessness because we don't want people to do what follows from the hopelessness. Yeah. So, anyway, well, 
I hope this uh, podcast has been a blessing to our listeners, and I hope you're a little bit more hopeful uh, about after this time talking about it. So even if you're not hopeful about the Patriots, that's okay if you're not hopeful about the Patriots. They had plenty of hopefulness in the past. Right? <laughs> Amen. God bless, brothers and sisters. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.